The reason I wanted to speak to you today is because pretty much every week I get some kind of question about, hey, I've been in therapy for three months, how come things haven't changed? Hey, I've been doing acupuncture for six months, how come things haven't changed? It's an amazing, unconscious, wishful idea that you can actually approach your healing, one's healing, in a couple of sessions. And this whole New Age movement obviously has really exasperated this totally asinine idea that in a workshop with a couple of sessions one can get in touch with oneself. So I wanted to talk with you and share your story with people who've known each other for a long while and we'll go through how it started. And I just really want you to share your story, how from a place of unconsciousness an aspect of you brought you into the healing world, which happens for a lot of us, right? So for you, it was actually back pain. The first time I met you was in April of 2000. <laughs> actually, holds your chart today. I was like, that's amazing. So 14 years ago. Long time. Long time. Long time doesn't seem that long. Yeah. And I'm sure for you, probably feels a lot longer sometimes. Right? A few lifetimes, yeah. Yeah, it's really intense. So you are, well, much more now, but you were a high-functioning person in the corporate world, and you came in here, very strong soul that you are, in April of 2000, 14 years ago, and you had some herniation in your L5 <laughs> so you said, and I gingerly pointed out to the fact that maybe, maybe, maybe there's an emotional content, yeah. and it sort of was like stepping on the tail of a tiger, because you weren't having any of that, yeah. and you were yeah. like, fix my back and shut up, you yeah. like, <laughs> And yet I was here, you know. So, um, where do I start? I guess, you know, the, one of the things that when I think back on uh, when I started to see you was that you said later that I was a suicide waiting to happen back then. And when I think back on that time, I, can, I, can, I can't identify with the pain, and I think that's a really important point. Mm -hmm. But what I knew was that A, my life wasn't working, B, I couldn't really feel much of anything. And C, it wasn't, it wasn't getting any better. And uh, I didn't really know that there was another way to live. But I kind of, something in me knew that there it had to be possible. Well, that's such an important point that you're making. The fact that there is an aspect in our most dark, unconscious realm that actually wants to wake up. Yeah. And that's the thing, if we can find it, and it's so funny, right, it's, it's hard to speak to this because if we're unconscious, how do we know? But we all know on some level, there's a noise. So even though we want to keep the covers on, yeah. the alarm clock's going off kind of loud. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, kind of a push-me-pull-you thing, right? Because how, how did I come in to see you? Like, what drew me here? And I've, I spent a lot of time thinking about that because I was so terrified of what lay beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. But something in me desperately wanted out. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I showed up, but I kind of said, you know, go jump in the lake. Yeah. But I kept coming back. And the feeling I had when I left here the first time was a feeling of, of safety. And I didn't even really know what that meant. Mm -hmm. But the biggest driver for me was I just thought, look, I have this, this is my life now. No matter what happened to me when I was younger, mm -hmm. I have a choice about how I get to live my life. Mm -hmm. And I would rather spend the next 10 years trying and then just kind of accept that this is it. And I had searched around, and, and there's a lot to be said for timing. I, I had to be ready. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I sure took my time. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So you're making a really important point, Ross. You're making so many important points. The idea that it's a process, not an event. Oh, that, yes. that you came in with that attitude, obviously, is why you've been in a running for so long. But the other thing is, you're absolutely correct about timing, but in my worldview, there is no luck. If we're willing, things happen. There's that idea of synchronicity, which sounds so so foody in our culture. You know, I've had a long waiting list for a while, and I have a long waiting list. I can look at a list and tell you intuitively, the people who wait on that list for six or nine months, that will never come in. Yeah. So when the time comes to call them, they will not come. Yeah. And that's about as far as they could go. It's not about me. They'll do this with anyone. And people like yourself who were ready or willing to go to that yeah. next level. So on that level too, you realize that yes, it's timing, but it's the timing really internal and external are one. That when people are ready, the right doors open. Yes. And we're always resistant. Like we're never 100% yes. ready. We always yes. have one foot in, nine feet out. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And I didn't realize that I was ready. Mm-hmm. But somebody randomly gave me your number. I never saw them again. Mm-hmm. I didn't even. I've been in Hong Kong for seven years mm-hmm. and never had acupuncture. Mm-hmm. So what made me show up? Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that I have learned, and I've been doing this for 15 years off and on, mm-hmm. and very very intense work over the last four years, like very intense. Mm-hmm. The number one thing for me is that somewhere inside of me, I made the commitment to show up for myself. Mm-hmm. And no matter what that took, and I, I, as I kind of went through this process, I, layers would come off, and I'd kind of really feel like I was coming apart. And I would, and you taught me this to sit with it. And I, and I say this to people all the time. They say, "I feel X, Y, or Z. I feel so much fear. I feel so much rage. What do I do?" And I always say what you told me, which is sit with it and don't shut it down. Don't pave over it. Don't run. Don't get busy. It will start to move. And some you you taught me that, and I started to do it, and it, it I just kept showing up, and showing up, and for a while all I could do was show up. I couldn't do any more than that, but I somehow I promised myself that no matter what it took, I would do it. It's such an amazing thing what you said, right? This thing that we actually end up mothering and fathering ourselves in a way that we weren't mothered and fathered, so that we actually show up for ourselves in a way that nobody showed up for us. And so many of us get caught up in this victim consciousness, which is part of the path, is not to judge it, at the same time one has to push against it. But we're still trying to fix the past and the present, to try to get these people who were not capable of showing up, mm-hmm. to show up, as opposed to this is such a big jump, I'm going like, wait a minute, I'm not going to let myself down. Yeah. The, the, the big me, the adult me, is going to really hold that little me, in yes. a way that he or she could never yes. be held. And this thing of sitting with it, it takes a tremendous amount of courage, but in a way it's so much easier. When you yeah. finally realize, like, my God, all the running around, all the tap dancing, all the ways of trying to earn it outside or trying to kill yourself, basically, which is a long way what ends up happening. But when you actually sit with it, you can learn to tolerate this thing. Because when you're little, it's so much bigger than you, but when you're an adult, you can actually tolerate it with the right tools. Yeah, I remember the first time I really that I recall that I really stopped and didn't run from the pain. And it was a winter several years ago, three or four years ago, and I felt that anxiety and that kind of agita and, and distress that has been a vein through my life. And I started to get up and I, you know, I had been doing this work for a while and I stopped. And it was a long weekend and I just stopped. And I thought I can't, I cannot keep running from this because otherwise, you know, if nothing changes, nothing changes, right? So 
And it was one of the most uncomfortable days I've had in my life. And I wandered around the West Village and I wrote 20 pages in my journal. And I just made that commitment to myself for the first time to not run. And I've, I've made a career out of running. So, and, and I always think back to that day when, the, and that's when the shift started. I started to be able to, because the pain has always been there, right? Mm. Like you can't run from it. It will catch you in the end. And you might be 60, or you might be 70, or you might be on your deathbed. So why not, like, make friends with the fear and kind of get to know the pain? And it starts to shift, and it starts to... Because the thing is that it's running our lives anyway. Always. Right? That's we, our culture. We just, don't, we just don't know it. So That's it's, our culture. I mean, we're, you know, we're the most abundant and the least happy yeah. culture. I'm talking about the States. We have more than anyone, really. I mean, globally, you know, those of us who are well-off, but by well-off, I mean, people live on $3 a day. So even yeah. if you're not making whatever, you you're, have a roof over your head, yeah. you're well-off. In this country, we are so well-off. And we're so miserable because we have actually had all these tools, starting with the distraction of the entertainment industry to these iPhones and yeah. whatever things in our hands. So we have this amazing distraction, but no one's really here. So this thing of sitting with it and... I really want to point out to the people who are listening, you know, you were 10 years into your yes. healing when you actually sat. This is the thing that people don't realize. Yes. People are like, I went to a meditation retreat. I've treated, I've been one of those people. I used to use meditation as a way of numbing in my 20s. Yeah. It was a badge of honor. I can go on a 10-day sit and not and eat two grains of rice and anti It's like, that's the story. Yeah. So you actually stepped out of the story finally, 10 years into doing deep work. That was already your health. I'm now 46. Okay, so yeah. already you were like a very mature 42 who traveled the world, been in this yeah. very grown-up world. That's the thing that people have to really take away from this, is how long it takes to really face oneself. Yeah. For me, we're all apples. It's not apples and oranges. Yeah. <laughs> right? You had a very traumatic yeah. childhood, and we'll get into that. But most people have had some level of yes. trauma in their childhood. The, the, the radical aspect of it is one part of it, but we all have this piece, and we're all in these stories. Yeah. And the story really is based on trying to heal the past and the present. Right? So we're trying to heal the past and relationships that don't work because we're trying to please mommy and daddy. We're trying to say fuck you to mommy and daddy. We're trying to be away from any love, be away from mom and daddy. It's amazing how really simplistically that's what's running us. Yeah. So now going back to your story, I don't know if you remember this, I'm sure you do. So I was trying to figure out how many years into it was it? Because when you came in, you had a, quite a... Um, how can we say healthy wine habit? <laughs> you were a connoisseur of wine. I did, and, I did. <laughs> and you were not wanting to touch that. And yeah. we kept kind of dancing around that a little bit of like, you know, you were drinking. Yeah, I was drinking a lot. You were drinking a lot. I mean, you were functioning. You were, you were kind of... Well, I was young and I could, my system could yes. take it. And your mind could take it. I mean, so you were, I mean, I know someone myself was a functioning addict. As functioning addicts, we're almost worse than yes. people that, because we can function. Yeah. And it's not a big deal. So we get up and go to work the next day, even though. So you didn't want to touch that for a while. So talk about that a little bit. I did not want to touch that. So I started seeing you when I was 31 or 32, and I I finally got sober when I was 37. Um, And for me, it was, you know, for me, it was two things it was uh, relief, and it was consolation prize for kind of not having the things I wanted. I got to kind of go out and you know, let off some steam or sit on a bar stool and talk about all the things I wanted to do with my life. Mm. And it comes back to that showing up place. 
because I, it was also a little bit of a fuck you to my parents in a way. Like, I, it was me being the bad girl where I'd always kind of decided to be the good girl to survive. Mm-hmm. And so I was getting one over on somebody. And it took me forever to realize that the only person I was getting one over on was me. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that what I didn't realize is that it kept me stuck. So I would come and see you and I would do 10 day juice fasts and I would, you know, eat clean food and I would go to yoga and, and I wouldn't go out because I didn't, I wasn't comfortable enough in my own skin to socialize without it. And then I would just, I would think I've done all this work with you. I've done all this clean living. I deserve a bonanza and I'd hit my threshold of what I could take in this work. And so I would go out and, and it would kind of make me feel a little bit better about doing it. And finally, I realized that A, I was stronger than I gave myself credit for. I didn't think I could live without numbing. And I, I seriously underestimated myself. And the other thing I realized was I was doing all this work, but it was kind of like I was writing with one hand and erasing with the other. Because I was doing all this work, and then I was aborting the mission every time I went out and drank. And at some point, I realized that in this place of showing up for myself, that I was terrified of stopping the numbing, but that I was willing to try. And um, the other thing I realized is that I wasn't ever going to get past a certain point if I kept numbing. Mm -hmm. And the the thing is that in our culture, it's so socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. Drugs, pills, whatever, booze, like people joke about it. And um, Booze is one of the most destructive things. You know, people don't understand the number one sort of cause of violent crime, including rape, is actually alcohol. It's not cocaine, it's not alcohol. Majority of people who are actually in prison, forget about these really draconian laws we have for drug possession, is alcohol. DWIs. I mean, the number of people that die because of alcohol, and it's a socially accepted thing, to your point. So people don't realize what a um, function it has in people being violent. Yeah. And people don't go and murder some no, marijuana. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not a murder rages. It, it's so. I'm not saying it's good or bad to smoke pot. I'm just saying alcohol is a really destructive um, substance. But to your point too, so I'm really glad you made that point. This is something I see clinically all the time, where people do this back and forth, where they juice for six days or do yoga and then they go back. Most people who do that kind of yo-yo thing, which is most people that I actually treat, most human beings that, I, that, that are around, is actually due to addiction. So people think because they're doing six days of fasting or six yeah. days, now they're actually really sober and they're working and then they go back on the other bender. But the yo-yo thing is addiction sort of personified. Yes. Right? So yes. You, you feel like, yes. oh, I'm doing the, oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing yoga now. I don't drink every day. Yeah. I don't know. It, yeah. It's not true. So yeah. that part of it is something that people also have to pay attention to. Again, we're, we are a culture steeped in addiction. This culture is steeped in addiction and, you know, Alcohol and cigarettes were the drug of choice, and now we have you know people getting more hip to it and more aware of it. But we are hardwired for addiction as a human sort of species, but certainly hardwired for it in this culture. Yeah, and and it's funny now because I've been sober now almost ten years, and um, and you, I, you went through the twelve step program. Yeah, and yeah, you find I still useful. do. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't go all the time, but it's mm-hmm. very it's it's very very helpful. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest reasons is it showed me another way to live. Right. And so say more to that. In, I, in my world, it was all about kind of one-upmanship and looking cool and never letting anyone know you had a problem. And part of the drinking was to numb that because that is that is a very tall order. Mm-hmm. 
And it's no fun to live that way. And when I went into AA, I met all these people who actually talked about what was going on. And, you know, you get all kinds in the program, but there's some very, very switched on people who are living consciously. And they can go into social situations and be themselves. And it took me a couple of years to learn that. And it really made me realize that I was going to have to cut to the chase because I couldn't pretend this stuff wasn't there anymore. But that was part of showing up for myself. And at that point, I kind of knew this was going to be a bit of a longer haul than I had anticipated. But kind of who cares, right? Mm-hmm. I'd rather die happy than just Beautiful. kind of scrape along for the Beautiful. rest of my life and get more miserable. So now I'm at the point where I don't drink. I don't think about it. I don't want it. I have to be mindful, you know, but... Um, people, places, and things. People, places, and things. And also, I can have fun at social things. And be myself. And that is worth the price of admission. So that's such an interesting thing, too, with addictions, right? And I know most people, if they're honest with themselves, they can sort of relate to this. But whatever substance we use, whether it's pot or alcohol or food, initially when you actually back off from that sugar, it really feels insane. I mean, I know my own experience, I'm sure you have similar. You're sort of like, so what do people do if you're not having a couple of glasses or if you're not putting a little dope, like, so what do you guys do? You just sit around? It feels so boring. It's good because you're driving 160 miles an hour, 55 seems like pedestrian. So they actually drive 55 for a couple of hours, and you're like, oh my God, this is actually pretty fast. So that's a very important point of learning to adjust oneself from these um, high frequencies that numb you, and learn to understand when you actually slow down, there's so much flavor you've been missing for the life prior to that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, there's there's a lot of good, and then in the short term, there's discomfort. And discomfort. I think that's what we avoid. Yes. Yes. And it's always like, oh, tomorrow, oh, when I'm 40, oh, when I'm 45, or whatever. Yes. But, you know, that passes. Yeah. And then there's this, like, magic that you can't even imagine. And it's a, it's a kind of a level of comfort that I didn't know I had. Regardless of what life brings you. Oh, right? I mean, yeah. That, that's the difference between the new age wishful thinking, trying to constantly numb it by forcing your nervous system to do something, as opposed to learning that no matter what comes, you can actually tolerate this because this yeah. too shall pass. For real. Yeah, I remember you saying uh, to me years ago, the process is the event. And I was like, whatever. You know, and, and now it really is. So it. it Whatever the good or the bad is, I was I was so outcome oriented and goal oriented in order to survive. The point was not to be in the present. Right. And getting sober helped me to actually start to feel. Mm. And when you're numb, you don't feel the bad, but you also don't feel the good. Right. And the good that you feel is there's a quality to it that if you haven't really had it, it's like it's magic. You can't imagine. And most of us don't touch that. I mean, I actually don't believe you can touch it at all unless you've gone through a le- level of unsheathing, yeah. which is all these bandages we had to put on just to protect ourselves from these constant flames that were thrown at us. Yeah. You cannot do it. Most people think it's that. Well, it's kind of the, you know, it's the prize at the end. Yeah. And there's a level of armoring that has to be kind of worked through to get to that place where that stuff can get in. Well, being manic is what in this culture is confused with that kind of joy. So we get manic, we get manic with drinking six cups of coffee or doing, mm-hmm. you know, six day fast or doing three hours of yoga. Not that not it, all these things can be helpful, it's not to put them down, it's the intention that one approaches them. And most of these are approached with that intention of 
total anxiety, which is like, again, we confuse manicness with happiness. And happiness is like joy, like this underlying joy of just being, just being in the moment, just being present. So here you are, so you're already into it, and you're back, and that gets a little better, and then you, <laughs> that was interesting, right, how that's connected yeah. to, to the emotions. Then the sobriety, which is yeah. sort of first starts with a small S, which is you, you're not drinking, then it becomes a capital S, you yeah. start applying yourself, and as you say so beautifully, so many people in the program, there are a lot of really turned on people, because it's a very, I'm not for or against the program, I've seen it do wonders for people, and I've seen it really just be a toehold for people who do it for 30 years and then die. Um, small as sober, capitalist, totally an addict. And God bless them, that's what they can handle. But there are people in there because it's got tools that if you actually use, it can point to a way of being on this plane in a very real way, to your point. So there you are, you're sober, you're in this plane in a more real way, then what happens? So then I had to learn how to live actually. And at this point, uh, you know, what you said about the kind of no quick fixes is a really, really important point. Um, because when I came into this, I didn't know when I started, there was something in me that believed there had to be more. And, um, so I kind of just went with that. And every time I would turn a corner, I would enter this whole new other level of healing and of work to be done. And I'd say to myself, okay, just this one more level and then I'll give myself a break. And then I, you know, and things would start to, they'd get more difficult and they'd get much better. And then I'd say, well, I just want to see what's around that next corner. And so after I got sober, I really, I, I really knew that I couldn't hide from those places in myself. And I kind of didn't want to, you know, because I really wanted to know. And I really wanted to know that I had given it everything to really live. So I had to start from the beginning, and I really realized that there were parts of me that were very, very young still, and I had to really care for those and nurture them, but it took me a few years to switch on to that, and to switch on to the fact that I probably needed some other help, and my healing has incorporated, because of my history, has incorporated so many different types of healing, because there are so many different aspects of myself that have been impacted. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I found I found a healer who a therapist who uh, really was able to show me where I wasn't healed and how much more I could do. So for me, it was there was a part of me that kind of thought, okay, he, wounded I've achieved, but if healed, like what what's possible for me? And I really wanted to find out. So I when I when I found this therapist, I started to really commit, and it took. A while to build the momentum, like it, you know, it was like it's like a child who's been starved. Small steps, and a small step, you know, your system has to integrate it. And then, as I got kind of stronger and more able to tolerate more feeling, really, I was able to go deeper. And such an important point. There. I just want to mm. take a pause there. So I want you to talk to more to that because one thing I see with people, especially people of means, is where they will touch on something like when you said that point in their lives, and because they are of means, but they're addicts, they will throw everything and the kitchen sink at it, and then they can't even take one hundredth of what comes in at mm. them, and I actually find them, they get discombobulated as opposed to unified. So they actually do too much. Again, as a culture of addicts, we do too much a lot of the time, so they're getting rolfed, and then they're doing this, and then they're doing that, and they're doing it all at the same time, and like you don't know where the person is, because that little bit that was there, instead of becoming unified, get scattered. Yeah. 
So yeah. this point that you're making of actually going at it slowly, which is compassion, yeah. like you've actually yeah. learned to have compassion on the little girl, as opposed to a lot of times we treat these psychic uh, little children in us the same way that we were treated as children, which is abusive. Except instead of like having the negative thrown at you, we quote unquote throw the positive, but the end result's the same way. The child gets bombarded and scattered. Yeah. Well, I was all of those things. You know, as a good addict, I tried everything. I tried everything. Yeah. Every approach. Yeah. And finally, I got to the point where I just learned, and I'm very fortunate because I stayed with it, mm-hmm. and I, I was incredibly punitive mm-hmm. to myself. And um, so I slowed it down, and I started to, as those parts of me grew up, and I didn't feel so, um, I guess, badly about myself, I started to have more compassion, and I started to realize that the process is the event, and there is no there, there. Although I wanted to feel better, which was the real driver, I I never felt, I stopped feeling like I needed to uh, be addictive about it. And just kind of take it as it comes. And I have never been that person. But, you know, as it turns out, another point is that I am not really who I thought I was. Yeah, I was just going to say, so the story wasn't that person. But actually the core, obviously you're that person because you suck by it. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people can surprise themselves is that they actually are a lot different than they think they are. Yeah. Except a lot, of, especially with this new agey stuff out there, people are trying to heal the story as opposed to take the story off and find out what's underneath it yeah. and then that's why it never works and become this kind of crazy thing whereas for you you deconstructed the story I did and now when I you know have uh, whenever I would feel grief or pain or fear I would trace back in my mind to where that came from mm-hmm. like kind of run through the computer files to identify the source and that's the story mm-hmm. and now what I find more is happening is that when I have those feelings, I, I can't really find the file. I don't know the source, and I'm actually not that interested in the source. I just kind of let the feelings run. Beautiful. You know what? They pass. Well, that's the thing. To learn to tolerate these things is part of the work as one gets deeper into it. It's not necessarily change things or what mm-hmm. changes happen. You learn to tolerate what is. And then when you tolerate what is, the thing that when you're two feet tall seems eight feet tall, when you're five feet tall doesn't seem that tall. So energetically, that learn, the, the learning of tolerating things is very, very important. And as we're talking, something I want to add here. So, you know, I get these emails too, like, oh, great, well, I don't have money. This is for rich people. And I find that to be such a cop-out. Obviously, when, you know, I have money now, and there were times in my life when I didn't have money. And I remember in my 20s when I was doing healing, I certainly didn't have money. And, you know, I used to ride my motorcycle four hours round trip to go see a therapist. Freaking in the winter. You know, people, I've had people who come from uptown, I work downtown, who come for one session and go, hey, that really helped my back. Can you give me somebody uptown? Because I've had this pain for a I can't really make it down here. That's a level of commitment we have to, yeah. to, to our healing, you know? So for people who don't have the money or the means to do everything you're doing, I just want to add, I want to hear your thoughts on it. You know, there is a 12-step program. There are a lot of ways. There are mindfulness sessions that are not expensive. There's so many ways you can get into yourself. I mean, just sitting down with yourself. So obviously it's not as easy, but in a way, it doesn't even really matter. If your commitment's there, it's been my experience, with my experience been a clinician for a long time. I, I completely agree, and there are many ways to go about this, and there is no one right way, but the one thing that 
is a prerequisite is the willingness. Beautiful. And the commitment to making it a priority. And in my experience, and I've had times where I've had, you know, been working with several different people at once and times when I've had no one. And my experience is when I set my intention, it, it can be writing my journal, it can, things will show up. It might be AA, it might be some friends, it might be a meditation meeting, it might be a Buddhist group, it might be, you know, whatever. There, things will present themselves, and it's, it's the intention, it's not, you know, the healer. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's just not. So, I'm really glad you're putting this out there, because this is not about who is the cool meditation teacher you've been hanging with, who is the cool therapist you've been hanging with. It's really about yourself, your commitment to yourself. And being honest with yourself, that even if you're not ready to know, just be honest with yeah. that. That in itself will shift a lot of things. Yeah, the other thing I, I, have, I have tried, and I've seen other people try, is the kind of the passive version of healing, mm -hmm. where healing is done to you mm -hmm. in the hopes that it's like magical thinking. It's, mm -hmm. it's like if I lie here and let them do their thing, mm -hmm. then I can just kind of sashay home and it will all be better. Yeah. And someone can show you the way, but, but it, is, it is up to each of us. And as I said, I've tried all of these, and I finally realized that these people guide me, and they help unwind this for my body, but I'm the one who has to show up, and I'm the one who has to sit with it. That's Nobody beautiful. can do that for me. That's such a great point. And the fact that a lot of times, it's this again, one step forward, one step backwards, where we actually get this stuff unwound from our bodies, and it's difficult to tolerate the open space. You know, we actually go back and fill it in with a friend, quote-unquote, who's unhealthy, with a behavior that's unhealthy. It takes a long time to learn to tolerate this new space. Yeah. So we work so hard to clear this room, but it's so uncomfortable because the sound's different in here, the echo, we run away and just pull stuff off the street and throw it back in and we get bed bugs and God knows what else to clear it up again. Yeah, and I think it's, it's not a straight line. At all. At all. It's at all. Damn it. And, yeah, <laughs> and when... When, for me, when I hit into these places where I slip back, now I'm less concerned. I used to really, because it was my habit to beat myself up, and you see, you know, you'll never do it, and you're blah, 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 and, and I don't really do that. I go, okay, not awesome, but, you know, we'll come back. And I can kind of see what I'm doing, but I've, I've been, I know I'm pointing in the right direction, and I, I know that I'm making progress, and... You know, I'm on this road and there may be, you know, a car crash or traffic or a pothole or whatever, but I kind of get back on and, you know, pull myself together. So it, it just, it's just a process. Such an important point. One thing I did want to talk about is, you know, again, me and you have talked about this in, in the past, about how this new age stuff, creating abundance, blah, 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 which of course is bullshit and doesn't work. But what's been interesting is observing how as you've gotten healthier, I've actually started doing better in the material realm as well. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, sure. so absolutely. What, what do you connect us? So unexpected. Okay. Um, you know, I, I couldn't really bear to be seen. I had a, an overwhelming urge to be recognized and I and seen, and yet a part of me couldn't bear it. And so I kind of kept myself down. And I would look at all these manifestation things that were out there several years ago, and they were all the rage. And I remember coming into you and saying, I don't get it. Like, what is wrong with me that I can't manifest a, you know, $5 million house? Mm -hmm. You know, or where is my new car? Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we kind of broke it down, and it really comes down to, for me, what I believed I could have. And that has been the work. 
right? The whole point is to kind of come back to my true self and my true nature, which deserves to have the good things and deserves and can bear to be seen and doesn't have to keep secrets. And as I have gone through this work, I, I have spent, I have freed up a lot of space in, in my system to allow more flow in my life. And it has been through just kind of keeping at it that as I unburden myself and kind of take off these sheets of armor, I'm more open to um, the good things in life. And, 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 there, and it's much less effort. In fact, it's kind of the opposite of effort. So, it's like it was so hard before. Such an important point. Especially as a woman in the corporate world, where we've watched you go through these sort of knuckleheads that you'll be dealing with these bosses who are not even one-tenth as smart as you, but they had a penis, so they had the job. And how that's so important also in the corporate world as a woman, where if you don't want to be seen, and yet you have to be against these energies that are so profoundly narcissistic and psychopaths, I mean psychopathology like on that level, how that also changed, where you were coming in banged up from these sort of meetings where these guys would really have it in for you to the point where it actually started not doing that and then actually being scared of you in a good way of like respecting you which for these guys usually my experience is just fear it's not they're not usually you know one can't generalize but it's my experience so talk to that about talk to that point about being a woman doing the work in that kind of patriarchal corporate oh, culture it's very intense it's very intense and for me it played into all of my wounding Right, to be surrounded by a bunch of men who had, you know, what I thought was the power. And, um, and so I stayed small. And as I healed, I started to be less afraid to be seen or stand up to them. And less afraid of the consequences. And as I got more of myself back, I started to say what I thought. And so part of it is on them, and part of it is on me. It's always 50-50. Absolutely. Yes. Because I, I played into that dynamic, and yes. I stayed invisible, and I would prefer to stay on the sidelines and judge than actually kind of get in there. And I, I just didn't have enough of myself. And as I, as I got those parts back, I started to stand up and be counted. And it got much, much easier. But, but what I have seen is that there, there are certain rules in the system that are very outdated and it's, it's trying to kind of navigate those from a different place that actually it, it's kind of interesting in a weird way but it's it's different it's a very it's a very strange dynamic do you find that it's changing by itself or not really i mean are people holding on to these oh they're holding on for dear life yeah. i mean it's so interesting right because the corporate culture that defines this culture. Yeah. That's, to me, as someone who's never been in a corporate environment, it's so intriguing because I treat people in that world and just how frighteningly like 16th century it is. Yeah. It's this draconian, yes. shut everything down, keep going, don't taste anything, any emotion is seen as weakness. It's phenomenal. I mean, it's psychopathy. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. you know, I mean, I have to say there are some, um, there are a couple of good eggs in the system. And, um, and I was saying to this, I went to this Women in Power conference last weekend, and I was having a conversation with a few people and saying that um, there are no role models. When you get to the senior level, there are no conscious women who are inclusive and supportive of other women, or very, very few. I, I know none. And so I have decided to kind of be that and see what happens. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people who are 
conscious but are quiet. And that's a part of the changes that are going on right now. Again, it's people either crashing or waking up. There's nothing in the middle. So on that level, I'm hopeful. Certainly these things can be very violent because all these old paradigms, whether it's in our own psyche or the external psyche, which is, you know, in the corporate world, just a part of our psyche, um, they don't let go easily. There's always going to be a fight. There's always that piece. So, anything you want to add as we end this? Do we want to talk a little bit about kind of where I come from? I would love to, yes. Go ahead. So, when I was 20, I saw you first when I was 31, I think. When I was 20, I started to remember sexual abuse by my father Mm -hmm. that I had repressed. Mm -hmm. And uh, it had gone on for a long time, um, most of my childhood. And uh, that really nearly took me down. But it explained why I had felt so crazy my whole life. Um, And I I thought that intellectually understanding what had happened was enough. Like I really had gone, I'd so cut off at the neck that I... um, I didn't know any other way to live. I didn't know my body was involved, of course, for obvious reasons. And I just didn't understand what healing was. And so I kind of went off. But I knew, I, I mean, part of me knew I wasn't done because when I was 31, I found you. And I remember it took me a couple of years, maybe, or a year or two to even tell you. Oh, yeah, two and a half years. And, um, which is a pretty long time. Well, that's actually quick. Is it? That's actually quick. So it's a very important point, again, that you're making. It's very common when people, it doesn't have to be as traumatic as what you've experienced, but any kind of trauma, people really believe, and this culture really fosters that belief, that if intellectually you understand it, yeah. it's good, you're done. I treat so many people as a body worker now, not doing the other work, where you put needles in people's bodies and they start throwing off the most crazy energies because they've totally intellectually understood their pain. They have not bodily at all had the capacity at any point or willingness because it was so frightening to feel things. And this culture very specifically forbids feelings. It's a culture steeped in thinking. It loves to think about it. So even the healing is steeped on that, but we're not really permitted to go deeper than that. Yeah. So go into that now. So you told me and then you started feeling these feelings. Yeah, I started feeling them and I, I really... It took me a very long time to connect with my body over it and to understand that I wasn't done. I really, I so wanted to be done with this work, and uh, the proof for me that I wasn't done was in how I felt and how my life was unfolding, Mm. and that's what kept me coming back, Mm. and I could justify, I tried, I tried everything, one of the things I tried was to kind of build it from the outside in, and so I had the job, I had the wardrobe, I had the friends, I had the, you know, and I said, okay, I've got a good life, you know, what's the problem? And what I kept, I, what I couldn't get away from was what was going on inside, and um, and that, and and I continued to do the work. And one of the biggest turning points for me was when I started to do work to physically unwind it from my body. And again, we're as you say, we're such an intellectual culture, and that's the safe world, right? It's if we stay in our heads, we don't have to feel it. And the interesting thing about doing this body work is that. I didn't have to go through the story. I didn't have to go through the, like, when I was seven, you know, and this is how it made me, like, there was no story. It's just, where is it in your body? And that would trigger feelings. But I can't, I, I'm a different person now for it. Completely it's different person. So profound what you're saying. And, again, it's so misunderstood, this simple fact that if you feel these feelings, it actually releases them. It does. And that's the thing that people don't understand. 
right? So there's three things we do with emotions in this culture. One is repress them, which is a master of it. One is act it out, which is not the same as feeling it, right? So we do the same thing over and over. We've been sexually abused, we get hypersexualized, and we act out that. That's not the same thing. The feeling of actually the original energy is the thing that releases it. And it's such a fact that's lost on our culture. And we really forbid it. I mean, we, we very much, you know, if someone starts crying, hey, hey, get yourself together, it's incredible. Like, we forbid these feelings. Because we are all sitting on a time bomb. We know if a little mash goes off, the whole thing can explode. Yeah. So yeah. people do this whole thing of, like, shoving it in. But I, I would have to say to that point, I think that's right, but it, it's possible to find outlets. And that's what I would say for, and this is what I do say to anybody who um, is kind of looking for a way to shift whatever's going on inside of them is you can find outlets mm-hmm. I mean people weep in AA mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's you know and people are lovely to them mm-hmm. and that is not the world I come from but there are places oh, yeah. for everybody where they can find even if it's at home whatever it is yeah. but to your point it's the like that feeling I had that day when I stopped running the next day I felt so much lighter it's beautiful it's I the only way, right? It. It's the only way. It's the only way. It's literally like something is lifted off from you, and it's as if there's this release valve. So the more you do it, you can access the release valve. It just gets released quicker. And again, it's a story. You don't make a story around it because that's another thing that can happen. Literally, it sounds so simple. It's not so simple, but simply feeling the feelings, you just let stuff go. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to tell you, as someone who's been a healer for thirty years, so much of illness that I treat is those emotions repressed. I believe right. it. It sounds very like, oh, no, it's genetics. It's like, no, genetics are the predisposition. But where you're going to get sick could be from that. But the thing that's so huge is that emotional piece. Because, you know, yes, yeah, someone must have weaker constitution, so we have to be more care- careful in the wherever our diets. But I really know people who have terrible constitution and eat crap, but they've done this emotional work, they really get away with murder. And I don't know, you know, in terms of doing whatever they want to do. And there are people who really eat perfectly and have strong constitution, but they haven't done the emotional work, yeah. and man, they're not doing well. It so takes a toll. It, takes it, a it really, toll. you know, the other thing is that I, I didn't want to feel because I, I literally, on some level, I believed that I would die from it. Yes. If I felt that, that level of pain that was inside. And first of all, we don't ever feel it all at once. And second, we well, never... You become psychotic, right? So that's, that's a very important point. I want you to finish what you're saying, but so that we've got to stop there for a second. So one thing that's really huge, you just said we don't feel a lot of months. One thing that people aren't aware of when they do these sort of extreme things, like do a heroic dose of psychedelics, you can't feel these things a lot of months. And that's when you have a nervous breakdown. That's when everything is rolled out. So the body mind doesn't want you to feel a lot of months. Or something traumatic happens, like your lover leaves you and then you have a breakdown and then you become suicidal. That's when everything comes out at the same time. So you definitely don't want that to happen. Your body mind's going to pretty much damn make sure it doesn't happen. But you can set up a situation mm-hmm. where that happens. Yeah. One has to be very careful. Yes. So and the next thing is... Um, the other part is that I didn't die from them. And uh, once I started to realize that even if I couldn't get off the floor for days, that I wasn't going to die from it, and that I would live to see another day, and I would feel good again... I started to be able to tolerate it more. So when I go down, I know that it's going to pass, and I know the rhythm and the cycle of it. And it and a lot of the fear goes out of feeling the things. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. So. It's amazing how your features physically have softened. 
from doing this work. I mean, that's another thing that's so interesting about this stuff. This is, again, with science, it's so poo-pooed, but we see this with people, right? They have these experiences and they get softer. Physically, you were so angled. Your cheekbones, your jaw, it was very angled, and that angledness was an aspect of holding all these emotions at bay and also having to be sharp. That's how you survived. You had to be a sharp sword. And as you did this work, now you're actually so much softer. So there's like a softness to you, which is obviously in the way you speak, and the way you are, and the way you interact, but also physically. But this stuff is in your organ system as well. So this stuff goes all the way down, right? It does. And another really important point is that I will never, I am no longer trying to erase this from my system. It's, it's here, it is part of me, and it has made me who I am. So I have scars. You know, there, there are certain, it's like, a, you know, when your knee gets sore, when the barometer drops or whatever, I have like these emotional trigger points, mm-hmm. but my relationship to them has changed and the, my relationship to myself has changed and I, I don't need to annihilate it. And I, then there's, you know, as, as I'm constantly told, there is nothing to fix here. Like what I'm do, trying to do is kind of give my spe- myself space to shine. So beautiful what you're saying. And here's the irony in the whole thing, right? There's nothing to do, but get on with it and do it, <laughs> right? It's that thing Ram Dass used to say back, and I remember hearing him say this, I think it was like the early, yeah, it was like 1980 or something, seeing this guy talk, there's nothing to do, get on with it, and you're like, it totally makes sense, what the hell is he talking about? And it's that, so this thing up there, you know, you've done a tremendous amount of work, we're talking to you 15 years later, of basically busting your butt to get to this place, at the same time, there's this acceptance and this piece of really there's nothing to do in terms of the way people think there is to do. Yeah. And part of, again, this whole misnomer in our culture with this new agey stuff. Because that's all that's going to fix you and I'm going to make this stuff happen for you. Yeah. And, you know, even if you have all that stuff that we think will make us happy, unless you do this inner work, it's not going to taste like anything because you can't taste. There's, there's no way around it. There's, There's no just way no way around it. There's and, only one you know, one. every every quick fix I've ever tried yeah. has let me down. Yes. Always let me down. And it's left me confused. Yeah. And hurt and angry. Yeah. And it's just, it, it has to come from the inside. Beautiful. Well, thank you for talking to everyone. And thank just you. take this as an invitation, those of you listening, to go deeper into yourself. And... The end result really is just to have peace in your heart and have a smile on your face as you walk through this realm and exit this realm. Thank you. Thank you.